Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our Pali Canon in English study group, and we're studying the words of the Buddha in this book series titled The Words of the Buddha, The Path to Enlightenment, Revealing the Hidden. This is a year and a half program where we study volumes two through 13 of this book series. And we just started volume 11 last week, which is titled The Realms of Existence. This week, we're going to be studying chapters 11 through 20. And the way that we do our program is I invite people in Zoom to be able to read an individual chapter. Then after somebody reads it, either in Zoom or myself, I might read it. Then I'll share some teachings on that particular chapter. Then I will open up to any and all questions that you guys might have related to that specific chapter. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you've been joining us regularly or you this is your first time that you've joined. If you study these chapters before class, you actually get a lot more benefit out of the class and or after class. You can study these books by going to buddhadailywisdom.com and from there you can actually download them. And what you'll find is that there's the words of the Buddha, there's a reference back to the original source teachings, and then there's reflections for me to be able to help you understand how to implement that particular teaching in your practice. So as you decide to join this program and learn, you might decide to read these books either before and or after class so that then as you're coming to class, you can ask questions that you have related to specific chapters. So again, welcome to all of you guys. I'll just invite anyone in Zoom that if you guys would like to read any of these chapters, feel free to volunteer by just electronically raising your hand. As we go in the class today, anybody who's in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can ask questions by putting those into the comment section and I'll be able to see your question and then answer it during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand to not only volunteer to read, but also to ask questions as well. So here, this first chapter that we're going to be studying today is chapter 11. It's titled, Four Kinds of Generation. Saraputta, there are these four kinds of generation. What for? Egg-born generation, womb-born generation, moisture-born generation, and spontaneous generation. What is egg-born generation? There are these beings born by breaking out of the shell of an egg. This is called egg-born generation. What is womb-born generation? There are these beings born by breaking out from the cow, which is the embryonic membrane enclosing a fetus. This is called womb-born generation. What is moisture-born generation? There are these beings born in a rotten fish, a rotten corpse, in rotten porridge, in a cesspit, or in a sewer. This is called moisture-born generation. What is spontaneous generation? 
There are gods and inhabitants of hell in certain human beings and some beings in the lower worlds. This is called spontaneous generation. These are the four kinds of generation. Okay, so these first several chapters in this book are really setting up to be able to dive into each individual realm of existence and be able to understand each of the individual realms. And the Buddha here in these first several chapters is just kind of setting up for you to understand how beings come into existence. If you study dependent origination, you understand the 12 interlinking steps and conditions that need to exist in order for a being to come into existence. But here he's describing how a being actually gets generated in terms of coming into the world where dependent origination is showing the causality of what leads from one step to the next to be able to experience existence where this is how it actually occurs. So he gives these four different types of generation, egg born, womb born, moisture born and spontaneous generation. And depending on what your experience has been in the world, you should be able to independently verify these the egg-born generation, womb-born generation, and moisture-born generation are typically very easy for an individual to independently verify. The spontaneous generation, you may or may not have experience of observing beings that are coming into the world in this way and for you to be able to actually independently verify this. Nowadays, we study a lot of things as we grow up through elementary school, middle school, high school, or however our school system is structured. We might go to college or university, and we have educational systems, we have water systems, electric systems. We've created all these systems in the world. But during the lifetime of the Buddha, these things didn't exist in the way that they do now. So the Buddha is sharing these things to help people to understand certain aspects of the world. Because remember, he's teaching the natural laws of existence to help his students to understand the world around them. And there are some people who came to spend time with the Buddha and learn with him as early as five, six, seven, eight years old sometimes. And then other times people were coming to study with him who were in their teens or their 20s or their 30s, or maybe even much older in life. But because the educational systems didn't exist during that time, you basically learned whatever the people around you were able to share with you. So if you grew up in a home where these types of things weren't discussed, you wouldn't necessarily know these things. So the Buddha is providing this education to help individuals to understand how to get to enlightenment and purify the mind of its pollutions to be able to eliminate discontentedness. But he's also helping them to understand the world around them and how things come to be. So this particular chapter is of that nature that he's helping his students to understand how beings come to be and how they're generated. And here he's giving the four different types of ways that a being can actually be generated and come into the world. Here under each one, he explains how to independently verify this. So with egg-born generation, he's explaining how there's beings that break out of a shell from an egg. And if you've been around chickens or birds or turtles or uh, some fish and things like this, you can independently verify this. Then there's womb-born generation. You've perhaps seen these things occur and moisture-born generation as well. Spontaneous generation isn't something that everybody's necessarily had experience with, but the Buddha is explaining this as a way that a being can come into the world. So let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. I see Koshi, you raised your hand. Go ahead, ma'am. Yeah, so how are human beings born spontaneously? I didn't know about that. 
Yeah, human beings are mostly reborn or come into the world through womb-born generation. The Buddha is describing that there are some human beings that are spontaneously born. I haven't witnessed that for myself, but the Buddha is saying that that's what he is aware of. So this is something that he's sharing. And things like this, while it's interesting to study and interesting to understand, I would suspect that our education around science and biology and chemistry and things like that is pretty far beyond what they were studying during this period of time 2,500 years ago. So this isn't something that somebody would absolutely need to understand in order to get to enlightenment because the ultimate goal is to eliminate the pollutions of mind and get to this enlightened mental state where the mind's peaceful and joyful permanently. So this here, while the Buddha is describing this and he's including human beings as beings that are able to be spontaneously generated, I haven't confirmed that. And it's not something that you absolutely need to confirm in order to be able to get to enlightenment. All right, Kushi's giving a thumbs up there. So let's see, let's see if we have any other questions anywhere. Looks like Mayuli is asking a question here. Are being in heavenly realms, afflicted spirit realms and hell realms considered spontaneous generation? Uh, yes, that's the way that I understand it, that these beings are spontaneously generated. And these are what we call the formless realms, heaven, afflicted spirit, and the hell realm. We're going to be talking a bit more about those in one of the chapters today that the Buddha is describing. I'm going to share some teachings with you on all five of the realms, including those three that you mentioned there, Mayuli. Okay, I'm not seeing any other questions anywhere. So let's move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 12. So remember, anybody in Zoom, if you guys would like to volunteer to read, you're welcome to do that at any point. Otherwise, I'll just continue forward unless I see a hand come up at some point. This one is titled, Nine Abodes of Beings. Monks, there are these nine abodes of beings. What nine? There are monks, beings that are different in body and different in perception, such as humans, some heavenly beings, and some in the lower realm, in the lower world. This is the first abode of beings. There are beings that are different in body, but identical in perception, such as the heavenly beings of Brahma's company. And Brahma is the way they refer to God during the lifetime of the Buddha. That are reborn through the first jhana. This is the second abode of beings. There are beings that are identical in body, but different in perception, such as the heavenly beings of streaming radiance. This is the third abode of beings. There are beings that are identical in body and identical in perception, such as the heavenly beings of reflungent glory. I'm not sure how to pronounce that word. This is the fourth abode of beings. There are beings that are non-precipitant without experience, such as the heavenly beings of the non-precipitant this is the fifth abode of beings. There are beings that, with the complete surmounting of perceptions of forms, with the passing away of perceptions of sensory impingement, with non-attention to perceptions of diversity, perceiving space is infinite, belong to the base of the infinite space. This is the sixth abode of beings. There are beings that, by completely surmounting the base of infinite space, 
perceiving consciousness is infinite, belong to the base of the infinity of consciousness. This is the seventh abode of beings. There are beings that are completely surmounting the base of infinity of consciousness, perceiving there is nothing, belong to the base of nothingness. This is the eighth abode of beings. There are beings that by completely surmounting the base of nothingness, belong to the base of neither perception nor non-perception. This is the ninth abode of beings. These are the nine abodes of beings. So here, what you can understand is that what an abode is, this is a dwelling. So here the Buddha is describing the nine dwellings of beings, essentially these nine categorizations that he's describing. During the lifetime of the Buddha, they had a certain way of looking at the world in these various realms. This is called cosmology. And there's a certain cosmology that existed during the lifetime of the Buddha. And there's a very different cosmology that exists today. Not 100% different, but somewhat different. Nowadays, when we think about the realms of hell or heaven, for example, we tend to just kind of think about it as hell and heaven as just two completely different realms and there's beings in those realms and all those beings are just the same. But when you study the teachings of the Buddha on the realms of existence, you're going to start seeing these classifications of beings from within each individual realm. So in the hell realm, the Buddha classifies the beings in that realm and the same thing in the heavenly realm. You'll see these descriptions that he gives of beings because he's the fully perfectly enlightened one who really understands these realms inside and out, backwards and forwards. So he's describing them in a lot of excruciating detail. And you're going to see that and be exposed to that as you read this particular book. But you don't need to understand the cosmology of what was going on during the lifetime of the Buddha in order to get to enlightenment. You can understand these five realms. And I'm going to be pointing out to you as we go in this book the things that you need to understand in order to move the mind to enlightenment. You don't need to fully understand all these different aspects of the various categorizations that existed during the lifetime of the Buddha. And this is one of those discourses that I left in this book series, but I don't really explain it very much. I think when we get down here, I talk about some things related to the realms of existence and kind of introducing students to the realms of existence and what needs to really be learned and practiced in order to get to enlightenment rather than having students really focus on this cosmology that existed during the lifetime of the Buddha. So here, there isn't really much here that's going to help inform your practice of how to eliminate sadness, anger, frustration, and all those other discontent feelings. This is just, to me, interesting information of what they were talking about, what they were thinking about at that time, and what the Buddha was teaching. And beyond that, there's nothing for me to actually teach on this particular discourse. So let me know if you have questions on this, if you've read it or you've studied it or you've now just read it and you're interested to ask any questions, feel free to ask any and all questions by putting those into Facebook, YouTube, or into Zoom. Okay, Biplob, looks like you have a question. Go ahead, sir. Thank you, teacher. I have a question about, yet we have no personal experience about formless beings. If you have any experience, your personal experience about that, can you share with me? Sure. I've had contact with beings from all five realms, uh, heavenly realm, the human realm, of course, afflicted spirits, animals, of course, and the hell beings as well. These beings are 
all in the same time in space as us. They're all in what I would say is the same plane that oftentimes we think that heaven is really far away and hell is really far in the core of the earth and these kinds of things. But just like a human being is here and sitting in this chair right now, when I get up and leave, there could be a spider or a bird or a squirrel or something else that comes and sits in this chair. And it's the same thing with these heavenly beings, the afflicted spirit beings and the hell beings as well. The more you move closer and closer to enlightenment and purifying your mind through cultivating wisdom and training the mind, there's more and more interaction with heavenly beings. You'll find heavenly beings tend to spend time around people who have cultivated their mind, where when you're in the darkness and your mind is very unwise and doing a lot of unwholesome things, there tends to be a certain amount of hell beings or afflicted spirits that are around you. The afflicted spirit beings, these are what some people refer to as hungry ghosts or ghosts. I'm going to be going through each of these five realms and explaining the qualities of the beings in those realms and what you experience in those realms here in a moment when we get to that particular chapter. But these beings are true. They're real. It's not something the Buddha made up. It's not something that he just slipped into his teachings. Remember, nothing here is to be believed. And I don't believe any of these teachings but instead you learn, reflect, and practice to be able to see the truth for yourself. And before I ever studied the teachings of the Buddha in this way, I had contact with these various beings. So when I started reading the teachings of the Buddha, it made a lot of sense to me because I had already had experience with them. And at different times when people experience contact with beings in these various realms, you can oftentimes think you're crazy and think you're insane until you start talking with people who understand and who've had the same experiences as you. Sometimes when you have these experiences with beings in these other realms, you might feel like you need to go out and tell other people about it or convince people of what you experience. That's unwise because most people aren't gonna understand because they haven't had these same experiences. And that would just be your own craving of wanting other people to understand these kinds of things. So usually when you have these kind of experiences, it's better to just keep it to yourself unless you would like to talk with your teacher about it. I definitely understand this. I've had students talk to me about this and sometimes I'm the first person that they could really trust and be able to explain it to me and then feel like they weren't being judged because of those things and they weren't going to be made a fool because oftentimes that's what people think of them if they share these kinds of things. And when students share with me and I'm like, yep, that's normal. Sometimes they're, they're very surprised that I respond in that way. But these are real beings. They exist in these five realms. The Buddha is explaining it in detail, super amount of detail based on what he understood during his lifetime. But there's kind of a higher level way to think about this where you don't have to go down into the excruciating detail that the Buddha describes. And that way you can keep a certain understanding of these realms and these beings, and then really focus your time and effort on those core central teachings of things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, your meditation training, learning about the natural law of gamma and so forth. If you guys were in class last week or you listened to the recording, I spent the first part of last week's class explaining to you why the Buddha taught the cycle of rebirth. If you haven't learned that yet, you can either watch the video on YouTube, on Facebook, or listen to our podcast once that comes out where I introduced you to this book because there's specific reasons why the Buddha is including this. And remember, nothing in the teachings of the Buddha is to be believed, but he has very specific reasons for helping you to understand this. And just like me, I have those same reasons as well. 
So that's what I can share with you at this point, unless you have deeper questions of things you would like to know about any of these experiences that I've had, Biplab. Thank you, teacher. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, sir. Okay, Mayuli is asking a question here. In this sutta, is the Buddha describing the different levels of dwelling in heavenly realms? You know, I haven't really penetrated into this very closely, but it does appear that that's what he's talking about, mainly the heavenly beings. Um, I haven't really looked at it really closely because I know it's not something that is needed in order to get to enlightenment, uh, but it does appear that that's what it is, uh, Mayuli. And you'll see when we get to the section about heavenly beings about two and a half months from now, uh, because this is a really thick book. We're going to be studying this book for about three and a half months. You're going to see that he describes these realms of the heavenly realm very closely in the different categorization. And you'll see that as we go forward in this book. But remember, how much of that you decide to learn and retain is up to you. I would encourage students to focus on the real core central teachings and some of the general themes to be able to independently confirm related to the cycle of rebirth rather than getting down into those details, although you'll have those details in this book if that's something that you're interested in exploring. Okay, I'm not seeing any other questions anywhere, so I'm going to move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 13. And it looks like Either Biplab or Kushi is interested in reading here. I'm not sure. There's two hands that are up. I'll just click the first one here. Biplab, is that your hand from last time or are you interested in reading? Thank you, teacher. Five destinations and similes of destinations. Shariputra. There are these five destinations. What are the five? Hell, the animal realm, the realm of afflicted spirits, human realm and heavenly realm. I understand hell and the path and the way leading to the hell. And I also understand how one who has entered this path will. On the dissolution of the body after death, he appears in a state of deprivations in a unhappy destinations, in perditions in hell. I understand the animal realm and the path and the way leading to the animal's realm and also understand how one who has entered this path will. On the dissolution of the body after death, he appeared in the animal realm. I understand the realm of afflicted spirit and the path and the way leading to the realm of afflicted spirit and also understand how one who has entered the this path will, and on the dissolution of the body after death, reappear in the realm of affected speed. I understand human realm and the path and the way leading to the human realm, and also understand how one who has entered this path will, on the dissolution of the body after death, reappear among human beings. I understand the heavenly realm and the path and the way leading to the heavenly realm. And I also understand how one who has entered this path will, on the dissolution of the body after death, be appear in a happy destination in the heavenly realm. I understand Nibbana, enlightenment, and the path and the way leading to Nibbana, enlightenment. And I also understand how one 
who has entered this pathway and realizing for himself with direct knowledge experiences here and now enter upon and reside in the liberation of mind and liberation by wisdom that are taintless with the destruction of the taints. Okay, I'm going to pause you there, Biplab, so we can talk about this and then we can move on to the next part of the chapter. So here the Buddha is introducing the five realms of existence. And here's where you can see that he indeed taught five realms of existence. Depending on what you've been exposed to, you can see anything from five, six, nine, 32 different realms that people actually talk about. And they say that the Buddha actually taught these things. But when you go back to the original source teachings of the Buddha, which is in the Pali Canon, this is the largest, most complete collection we have of the teachings of the Buddha. You can see that he only taught these five realms. And if you've independently verified these realms, like you heard that I experienced contact with these five realms before ever coming in contact with these teachings, that you can independently verify that, yes, this is the truth. And that's one of the ways that you can know that this is the truth. So when you see different people talking about six realms, nine realms, 32 realms, or however many realms people talk about, you can just consider that that person has misunderstood the teachings. And the Buddha gives guidance on that in his teachings. He said, he shares that if you come across any teachings that conflict with his, just consider that that person has misunderstood his teachings and to ignore those particular teachings. So here, this is what he taught, the five realms of existence. And the goal is to escape these five realms. The goal isn't to reside in any of these five realms, including the heavenly realm. Being in the heavenly realm is still being in existence. And that's not a permanent existence. Oftentimes people are taught that the heavenly realm is a permanent existence, but it's not. When you look around the world and you understand the universal truth of impermanence, then you understand that none of these realms are permanent. So all these things around the world that you interact with, they're all impermanent. So it's not like all these things are impermanent, but yet there's this one place in the world that is permanent. So even though you might have been told or you've been led to believe that the heavenly realm is permanent, it's important to be able to see the truth based on the universal truth of impermanence that the heavenly realm is not permanent. And none of these other realms are permanent either. Beings are moving in and out of these realms at all different times. Right now, of course, you're in the human realm, which is the ideal existence to be able to get to enlightenment. So let me explain each of these realms and then I'll open up to any questions that you guys might have. This heavenly realm that the Buddha is describing here, these beings experience exclusively pleasant feelings, that they don't experience painful feelings and neither painful nor pleasant. They have the capability to be able to get to enlightenment, but oftentimes they're complacent and they choose not to learn and study and practice to be able to train their mind and actually get to enlightenment. So heavenly beings are oftentimes reborn into other realms of existence. They're still in the cycle of rebirth and they haven't escaped the cycle of rebirth. So they're going to need to get to enlightenment. But because they only experience pleasant feelings, they tend to be somewhat complacent and choose not to practice the teachings or even learn them. So therefore, these beings are oftentimes being reborn into other realms. And beings can be reborn from the heavenly realm into any of the other realms. They can be reborn into hell, the animal realm, the afflicted spirit realm, the human realm, or even back into the heavenly realm. Beings in the human realm this is the ideal existence because you actually experience all three types of feelings, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant. 
and you have the ability to cultivate your mind and cultivate the consciousness. Those painful feelings and the neither painful nor pleasant tend to be the motivation. This is built-in motivation that a human being has to be able to get to enlightenment because a human being doesn't typically like those painful feelings or the neither painful nor pleasant. So where the heavenly beings lack that built-in motivation and they can actually get to enlightenment, Human beings can get to enlightenment and they have this built-in motivation because you're interested in getting away from those painful feelings and the neither painful nor pleasant. So in the human realm, beings can also be reborn into any of these realms. They can be reborn into hell, animal, afflicted spirit, back into the human realm or into the heavenly realm. But the ideal goal would be to escape this existence in any of these realms by training the mind to get to enlightenment. Then there's the realm of afflicted spirits. Some people refer to this as the hungry ghost or ghost. And the reason why is because beings in this realm, they have extensive amounts of craving. They experience painful feelings in neither painful nor pleasant. They don't experience the pleasant feelings in this realm. Their mind is oftentimes holding on to people or possessions or various things in their life. This is where people might say that a particular house is haunted. Well, this being that once maybe lived there as a human has died and they have such craving that they're holding on to this dwelling and not able to let it go. So these beings are trapped in the cycle of rebirth and they need to get to an improved existence either in the human realm or the heavenly realm to be able to cultivate their mind and train it to enlightenment so that they can escape the cycle of rebirth. From that existence in the afflicted spirit realm, they can't actually get to enlightenment, but they can improve their mind a bit in order to be able to move it into an existence where they're in a human realm or in the heavenly realm. Then there's the animal realm. These beings experience pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant. They aren't able to cultivate their mind enough to get to enlightenment, so they're going to need to be reborn into a another existence. The Buddha describes the hell realm and the animal realm as a prison because once you're in these realms, it's very challenging to get out and move into another existence. And one of the reasons why using the animal realm as an example is that animals are oftentimes involved in things like killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct. That's a lot of what they're doing. Remember these natural laws of existence that you're learning related to the natural law of gamma of cause and effect, they affect all beings whether they're aware of it or not. They're the natural laws. So for example, a snake or a lion or a tiger that comes into the world, they're going to be killing in order to sustain their life and that's what they need to do. So in those existences, it's very challenging to develop enough wholesome gamma to move into another realm that would be an improved existence to be able to then get to enlightenment. So there's typically countless rebirths in the animal realm before you ever have an opportunity to move into an improved existence. So that's why the Buddha refers to these as a prison. And the same thing is animals will tend to steal food and things like this, and they tend to have sexual misconduct where they're having sex with multiple partners. And this is why animals tend to have a very short lifespan. If you look at a snake or a tiger or a lion or things like this, they have a very short lifespan because they're killing so much. So they're not going to have the same type of lifespan as like a human being. A human being will typically live you know, somewhere between 60 to 100 years old where heavenly beings, they actually have a very elongated lifespan. Some of these beings can live upwards of 500 years and beyond. Now the hell realm, these beings, 
they're experiencing exclusively painful feelings. They don't experience the pleasant feelings or the neither painful nor pleasant. It's only painful feelings. And they're incapable of cultivating their mind to be able to get to enlightenment from that realm. So they're going to need to get to an improved existence in order to experience enlightenment. And beings from these realms, just like hell and all the others, they can move directly into some of these other realms. You can have beings come from the hell realm and go right into the human realm or even right into the heavenly realm. That's very rare that that occurs, but it can occur. This is why you can see beings in the human realm are very vicious and very a lot of significant anger and hatred. If you see beings that come into the human realm and in a relatively short period of time, maybe in their 20s or 30s, maybe they're a serial killer or something like this. This are potentially beings coming out of hell or the animal realm. They're still having that consciousness of killing, 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 and they come into the human realm and now they're in this realm where if you have like a serial killer who maybe eats human beings like a cannibal that's eating human flesh, this can be human being who was recently either in the hell realm or the animal realm and now they're coming up into the human realm and their consciousness is conditioned from those existences and they're functioning very similar as they did in the hell or the animal realms even though they're in a human realm their consciousness is still conditioned in that way so all of these realms are something that you can learn you can understand the things that i just described are things that you can understand i've taught this in other classes as well and laid it out very clearly for you guys the level of depth that you choose to learn about this is up to you i think it's helpful and it can be used as motivation because you're in the human realm the buddha never used guilt shame or fear to motivate you in order to learn the teachings and get to enlightenment but you could use it as your own motivation not in terms of a guilt shame or fear perspective but if you understand these lower realms and you start experiencing memories from these previous existences that we've all had there's a good chance that every single one of you have been in the animal realm at least potentially the afflicted spirits realm or maybe even the hell realm at some point or you may have even been in the heavenly realm at some point so if you start having these various memories from these previous existences it can help you to be able to confirm these realms and it can also help you to feel like you're not insane or you're not crazy because you just understand that their existences their memories from previous existences and there's no need for you to be worried about those things or anything like that but use it as motivation and encouragement that now that you're in this human realm apply the dedication and the effort to be able to get to enlightenment so here in this chapter where the buddha is describing that he understands how one ends up in hell how one ends up in the animal realm the afflicted spirit realm the human realm and the heavenly realm he's also saying that he understands how to get to enlightenment which is the ultimate goal the enlightened mental state is not a destination it's not a realm it's a mental state that you experience in this life human beings and heavenly beings can experience that in those beings in the lower realms of hell animal and afflicted spirits will eventually make their way to the human or heavenly realms with an opportunity to get to enlightenment and they may have experienced that already in the past and ended up back in those realms but this path that the buddha is describing is how to escape all of this and the buddha is teaching you this so that you can understand it he never uses guilt shame or fear in order to help you to understand or motivate you or you can see in his teachings he never uses anything like that because his goal is to help you eliminate guilt shame and fear among all the other discontent feelings 
So let me see what questions you guys have on what has been shared so far. You can put this in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Okay, it looks like Mayu Lee is asking a question here. She says, going back to the question that Biplop asked earlier, I have witnessed a room full of people that were having a party enjoying themselves. They were drinking and laughing only to find out that the room was empty. Were these beings that I witnessed from heavenly realms? Most likely not if they were drinking alcohol and things like this because heavenly beings tend to not do those types of things. This could most likely be beings from the afflicted spirit realm. That's what I would say based on what you're sharing so far. Okay, it looks like Kushi has a question here. If you'd like to go ahead, Kushi. Yeah, so I wanted to ask that, is it very normal for a heavenly being to go back to hell, hell realm or afflicted spirits or is it, is it not so common? Like, do they have more possibilities where they can make uh, so much unwholesome karma that they can go back to the slower realms? It is possible. The Buddha says that it's much more likely that a being moves from the heavenly realm down into the lower realms than it is for beings to move from the lower realms up to the heavenly realms. So he doesn't share exactly how frequently that occurs, but he says that it's more frequent than not that beings are moving down into the lower realms. And that's because of a lack of understanding of the teachings, because he gives the reason why this is occurring. And it's because they haven't understood the Four Noble Truths. So it's much more likely that beings are moving downward than upward. But exactly the likelihood of that go moving from the heavenly realm to the lower realms, I'm not 100% sure on the probability of that. And while we're talking about it as well, just as I mentioned that beings from like hell and animal realm can be reborn into the human realm and you can see the evidence of that in things like serial killers and things like that. There's also beings that can be reborn from the heavenly realm into the human realm as well. And you can see evidence of this. If you see people's life who they maybe have never even studied the teachings of the Buddha before, but their life is quite peaceful and quite joyful. They maybe experience a bit of irritation here and there, but by and large, their life is quite peaceful. These beings are oftentimes having been reborn out of the heavenly realm into the human realm. And oftentimes these beings also, even in the human realm, don't have much motivation to learn and practice the teachings. That even when they come in contact with the teachings, it's like, ah, you know, they experience discontentedness once every three months or so. It's not very significant and they're not really bothered by it. So they really oftentimes lack motivation even here in the human realm. And this is one of the reasons why beings can go from like heavenly realm to human. And then once they're in the human realm, they're not really learning the teachings there too. And now they can go down even further down into hell, animal, or afflicted spirits. So the goal would be is now that you're in this human realm, really apply dedication, determination, and diligence to learning and practicing so that you can escape all of this. Looks like Kushi has her hand up either for a question or maybe to read. Uh, yeah, I understand that. Um, I have one more question. Sure. So hell beings are formless, so how they can feed on people or animals or something like that? Yeah, so the animal realm is where beings are 
feeding on other animals, right? So that's what I was mentioning in terms of like beings coming from the lower realms, moving into the human realm and continuing to do harmful things here in the human realm. Beings in the hell realm, they're not necessarily feeding on other beings because they're formless. They don't need food in order to continue their existence. Okay, Kushi's giving a thumbs up there. All right, so there's some more content here that we can explore. This content here is a lot of detail that we can read and that way you'll understand it. But it's not something that you would need to know in the detail that the Buddha is describing it, but it's interesting to study. So Biblab, if you would like to continue or if somebody else would like to read, this is a continuation of this particular discourse. Okay, Kushi would like to read. She's putting her hand up. Go ahead, Kushi. Yeah, I can go ahead. A simile for seeing destinations. Suppose there were a charcoal pit deeper than a man's hide, full of glowing coals without flame or smoke. And then a man scorched and exhausted by hot weather, very harsh and thirsty, came by the path going in one way only and directed to that same charcoal pit. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, so taken such a path that he will come to this charcoal pit. And then later on, he sees uh, that he has fallen into the, that charcoal pit and he's experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on dissolution of the body after death, he will reappear in a state of deprivation, in an unhappy destination, in perdition, in hell. And then later on, with the divine eye, third eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body after death, he has reappeared in a state of deprivation, in an unhappy state, in an unhappy destination, in perdition, in hell, and in experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. Suppose there were a cesspit deeper than a man's hide, full of filth, and then a man scorched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched, and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same cesspit. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to this same cesspit. And then later on, he sees that he has fallen into that cesspit and is experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person does. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body after death, he will reappear in the animal realm. And then later on with the divine eye, third eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body 
After death, he has reappeared in the animal realm and is experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. Suppose there were a tree growing on uneven ground with scanty foliage casting a dappled shadow and then a man scrawched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched and thirsty came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same tree. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to the same tree. And then later on, he sees that he is sitting or lying in the shed of the tree, experiencing much painful feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person does. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on dissolution of the body after death, he will reappear in the realm of afflicted spirits. And then later on with the divine eye, third eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body after death, he has reappeared in the realm of afflicted spirits and is experiencing much painful feelings. Suppose there were a tree growing on an uneven ground with thick foliage casting a dip shade, and then a man scrawched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same tree. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come across to the same tree. And then later on, he sees that he is sitting or lying in the shade of that tree, experiencing much pleasant feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person does. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body after death, he will reappear among human beings. And then later on with the divine eye, third eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body after death, he has reappeared among human beings and is experiencing much pleasant feelings. Suppose there were a mansion and uh, it had an upper chamber plastered within and without, shut off, secured by bars with shuttered windows. And in it, there was a couch spread with rugs, blankets and sheets with a deer skin coverlet and the canopy as well as crimson pillows for both head and feet. And then a man's crouch and exhausted by hot weather, very parched and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same mansion. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to the same mansion. And then later on, he sees that he is sitting or lying in that upper chamber in that mansion, experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, 
has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body after death he will reappear in a happy destination in the heavenly world and then later on with the divine eye third eye which is purified and surpasses the human i see that on the dissolution of the body after death he has reappeared in the heavenly world and is experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings suppose there were a pond with clean agreeable cool water transparent with smooth banks delightful and nearby a dense wood and then men's crotch and exhausted by hot weather very parched and then thirsty came by a path going in one way only towards that same pond then a man with good sight on seeing him would say this person so behaves so conducts himself has taken such a path that he will come to the same pond and then later on he sees that he has plunged into that pond bath and drank relieved all his distress fatigue and fever and has come out again and is sitting or lying in the wood experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings so too by encompassing mind with mind i understand a certain person thus this person so behaves so conducts himself and has taken such a path that by realizing for himself with direct knowledge experience he here and now will enter upon and reside in liberation of mind and liberation by wisdom that are taintless with the destruction of the taints and then later on i see that by realizing for himself with direct knowledge experience he here and now enters upon and resides in the liberation of mind and liberation by wisdom that are taintless with the destruction of the taints and is experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings okay thank you kushi let me know what questions you guys have on this there's nothing that i'm going to really go through and teach other than i think i just put a little bit here in the book just to kind of point you in a certain direction but uh if you guys have questions on anything i'll be pleased to answer it you can put that into facebook youtube or zoom or you can raise your hand in zoom and ask any questions that you like mayuli has a question here it looks like it was probably from our last pause where she says i have many ladybugs in my room when the weather was warm i would free them outside since the weather is too cold where i live it is too cold for them to survive outside so i let them roam freely they look peaceful is this how it is possible for being in animal realms to be reborn into human realms so the way that an individual is reborn into various realms and moving up in realms is based on decisions that that particular being makes not based on other beings so the decision that you're making to allow those beings to exist in your room those are decisions that you're making to have loving kindness and compassion and that's going to help you in this life and if there needs to be rebirth in future lives to experience improved existence but those beings those ladybugs themselves would need to make decisions that improve the results that they're experiencing so i'll give you an example of this there's a story that i know of of a rat from cambodia that was trained by the human beings to sniff out landmines and to be able to uncover those landmines and then the human beings could dig them up to save the life of human beings because during the war many years ago there were lots of landmines that were placed around cambodia and it's affecting people to 
uh, even nowadays that they are experiencing the explosion of these landmines and it's harming individuals and killing people. So the Cambodians trained this rat to sniff out these landmines. And because the rat is very light, it doesn't explode the landmines. It can go around and find these landmines. And it's credited for finding at least 100 different landmines. And that means it saved many, many lives by doing that. And it ultimately died after six years of this. So this being the rat made the decision to learn these things, right? The humans were training it and the humans were involved and had intervention here. But Ultimately, it's the rat's choice. The rat could have chosen not to learn and to not do these things, but it chose to do these things with human intervention. So I suspect this particular rat was probably reborn into the human realm or into the heavenly realm on their next existence. With humans coming in contact with animals so much over the last several decades and even the last several hundreds of years, Humans are intervening here a lot with animals and training animals. And this is the one of the reasons why we see the explosion of the human realm. We're seeing so many human beings coming into the world. The animal realm is shrinking and has been shrinking quite significantly. Scientists tell us that 99% of the animals that once existed are extinct. And there's only 1% of animals that actually have existed over the course of history of time that currently still exists. So you can see this, that the animal realm is shrinking, the human realm is expanding. And part of what is causing this is that human beings are interacting with animals, training them, helping them to become more loving and kind and compassionate and friendly. This allows those beings to then be reborn into another realm of existence like human or heavenly. But at the end of the day, it's still those animals' decision of whether they're going to learn that training from the human beings, where if these animals were out on their own, out in the forest, they wouldn't have the ability to cultivate their mind in the same way as they do when a human being is involved. When a human being is involved, we can guide them and help them a lot more readily because of our intelligence, because of our wisdom, that we can help these animals. But even if an animal was out on its own, let's just say like a big group of monkeys, in that big group of monkeys, there's going to be some that are more angry and hateful, and there's going to be others that are more friendly and kind. Maybe there's some monkeys that are like helping other monkeys to pick bugs out of their fur and comb their fur. Maybe they lay down and hug each other and they're more loving and more kind and compassionate. So even animals left to their own devices, they will end up being either hateful and vindictive with animosity and bitterness, or some of them can actually uh, cultivate their mind to a certain degree to have a little bit more loving kindness, a little bit more compassion, which ultimately helps them to improve their next rebirth. But when humans are involved, then we can see this happens more readily, like this example with the rat and other examples that you can see all around the world of human beings being involved with animals. And that's allowing for more and more animals to be reborn into the human world. Okay, let me see if we have any other questions. I'm not seeing any other questions anywhere. So let's move on to the next chapter. Now, this is the section where we're going to start studying discourses related to the realm of hell, where the Buddha is starting to describe beings in that realm. So this is chapter 14. If there's anybody who would like to read this, just let me know. Otherwise, I'll go ahead and read it. So this one is titled, 10 Courses of Unwholesome Kama, Deposited in Hell. Impurity by body, Kunda, 
is threefold. Impurity by speech is fourfold. Impurity by mind is threefold. And how, Kunda, is impurity by body threefold? 1. Here, someone destroys life. He is murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, merciless to living beings. 2. He takes what is not given. He steals the wealth and property of others in the village or forest. 3. He engages in sexual misconduct. He has sexual relations with women who are protected by their mother, father, mother and father, brother, sister, or relative, who are protected by their teachings, who have a husband whose violation entails a penalty, or even with one already engaged. It is in this way that impurity by body is threefold. And how, Kunda, is impurity by speech fourfold? 1. Here, someone speaks falsehood. If he is summoned to a council, to an assembly, to his relative's presence, to his club, or to the court, and questioned as a witness thus, So good man, tell what you know. Then not knowing, he says, I know. Or knowing, he says, I do not know. Not seeing, he says, I see. Or seeing, he says, I do not see. Thus, he knowingly speaks falsehood for his own benefit or for others' benefit or for some insignificant worldly benefit. 2. He speaks argumentatively. Having heard something here, he repeats it elsewhere in order to divide those people from these. Or having heard something elsewhere, he repeats it to these people in order to divide them from those. Thus, he is one who divides those who are united, a creator of divisions, one who enjoys separation, rejoices in separation, finds pleasure in separation, a speaker of words that create separation. 3. He speaks harshly. He speaks such words as are rough, hard, hurtful to others, offensive to others, bordering on anger, unconducive to concentration. 4. He indulges in idle chatter. He speaks at improper time, speaks falsely, speaks what is unbeneficial, speaks opposite to the teachings and the discipline. At an improper time, he speaks such words as are unwise, unreasonable, rambling, and unbeneficial. It is in this way that impurity by speech is fourfold. And how, Kunda, is impurity of mind threefold? 1. Here, someone is full of longing, craving. He longs, craves, for the wealth and property of others. Thus, oh, may what belongs to another be mine. 2. He has a mind of ill will and intentions of hate. Thus, may these beings be slain, slaughtered, cut off, destroyed, or obliterated. 3. He holds wrong view, ignorance, unknowing of true reality, and has an incorrect perspective. Thus, there is nothing given, nothing sacrificed, nothing offered. There is no fruit or result of wholesome and unwholesome actions. There is no this world, no other world. There is no mother, no father. There are no beings spontaneously reborn. There are in the world no aesthetics and Brahmins of right conduct and right practice, who, having realized this world and the other world for themselves by direct knowledge, experience, 
make them known to others. It is in this way that impurity by mind is threefold. These kunda are the ten courses of unwholesome gamma. It is because people engage in these ten courses of unwholesome gamma that hell, the animal realm, and the realm of afflicted spirits and other bad destinations are seen. Monks, one possessing these ten qualities is deposited in hell as if brought there. So here the Buddha is connecting the five precepts in a lot of cases. These are mirroring the five precepts in the natural law of gamma with rebirth, showing you that it's your gamma, the choices and decisions that you make that determines which realm you're actually born into. So these first three that he's talking about in relationship to the impurity of the body, this is connecting directly to the five precepts, where in the five precepts, he gives much more illuminating language to be able to help you understand how to practice it, where here he's showing you the result that if one doesn't practice these things, then their bodily conduct is impure, and this will lead to rebirth in the lower realms. And he's just showing you the cause and effect or the action and result. He's not guilting, shaming, or fearing you into anything. He's just showing you the connection here between the first, second, and third precept and rebirth into the lower realms. And then he's showing you the connection here to the fourth precept, which is all about false speech. And then he goes into other aspects of right speech that he teaches in the Eightfold Path with some of these others that he's talking about here. Once again, connecting that to rebirth into the lower realms. Then he's connecting this impurity by mind to the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires, which are craving, anger, and ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. This is what you're working to purify. This is the whole reason why one would be impure by body and speech is because the mind still has craving, still has anger, and still has this ignorance or unknowing of true reality. So the mind can be purified of these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots by training it and getting to the wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And by cleaning up all of that from the mind, then one won't experience this unwholesome gamma in this life and in future lives as well. Because as long as an individual is doing these types of things from these craving, anger, and ignorance, then there's this potential to be reborn into the lower realms. What determines whether one is reborn or not is craving. We've studied that in other chapters throughout this program. But it's the condition of the mind at the time of death that determines which realm one is born into. So it's not like somebody is sitting somewhere and then looking over the totality of your life and judging what you've done in the whole totality of your life to determine which realm you're actually reborn into. Instead, it's what's going on at the time of death. What is the condition of the mind at that point? And that's what determines what realm you're actually born into. So if you've done a lot of these things that the Buddha is describing here at other times in your life, okay, those were unwise decisions. You had craving, anger, and ignorance, this lack of wisdom. Now you're cultivating your mind and you're getting to an improved condition of mind. And now you would like to continue to cultivate the mind because no matter what you've done in the past, you can either get to enlightenment in this life or if you're reborn to experience an improved rebirth. There's an individual from the lifetime of the Buddha who had killed 999 people. So they had murdered 999 human beings. 
and they ended up studying with the Buddha during his lifetime and they ended up getting to enlightenment during that lifetime. So I'm sure that nobody who's listening to this has killed 999 people. So therefore, no matter what you've done in the past, it's in the past and you can now focus on developing your mind, developing your wisdom, and now training to the point where you can either get to enlightenment in this life or if you're going to experience rebirth, then you can at least get to the point where you perhaps have escaped the lower realms and you no longer are reborn into hell, animal, or afflicted spirits. And what the Buddha is giving you is the guidance of how to do that. The ultimate goal and the ultimate motivator isn't about rebirth in the teachings of the Buddha. It's to eliminate those painful feelings. But yes, you know, it would be unwise to experience rebirth at all let alone rebirth in any of these lower realms. So that is one of the benefits of training the mind and getting closer and closer to enlightenment or enlightenment itself, that you're not going to experience rebirth in any of these realms. But ultimately, what you would like to do is get to that peace and joy and experience that for the rest of this life. Are there any questions that you guys have on this chapter? You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. So I'm going to go to the next chapter. Here, this is chapter 15. This one is titled Dangers to One of Unwholesome Morality. Householders, there are these five dangers to one of unwholesome morality, of failure, immorality, or moral conduct. What are they? In the first place, he suffers great loss of property through neglecting his affairs. In the second place, he gets an unwholesome reputation for immorality and misconduct. In the third place, whatever assembly he approaches, whether kathiyas, brahmins, householders, or aesthetics, he does so without confidence and is fearful. In the fourth place, he dies confused. In the fifth place, after death, at the breakup of the body, he arises in an unwholesome state, a bad destination, in suffering, in hell. These are the five dangers to one of unwholesome morality. So here, this is one of those chapters that you can independently verify. The Buddha's teaching throughout the Eightfold Path, including things like the five precepts of how to improve your moral conduct, and you can see that as you're learning that, you're reflecting on that and you're practicing it, that it does improve your relationships, both personally and professionally. It improves the condition of your mind, that you're not confused about how to conduct yourself in the world because you have very clear guidance on the natural law of gamma of what would lead to wholesome results and what would lead to unwholesome results. And here the Buddha is explaining to you some of those unwholesome results when you lack wisdom of morality and you're not practicing good wholesome moral conduct. These first four, you might actually be able to confirm these to a certain degree. And you can see that yes, either you or other people, when they have a lack of moral conduct, that they suffer this loss of property. You can also see that one gets this certain unwholesome reputation in their community based on having a certain amount of uh, misconduct or immorality. You can see these others here and you can independently confirm this either for yourself, like this next one, the third one, where perhaps if you don't understand the wisdom of how to conduct yourself in the world, maybe when you go see your boss 
or you go to a certain board meeting or you go to a certain association, a group of people, maybe you lack confidence or you're fearful in those kinds of situations because you lack this ability to practice moral conduct. So here the Buddha is just sharing with you the cause and effect or the action and result, helping you see this natural law of karma more and more clearly. Because when we talk about awakening to enlightenment, what you're awakening to is the wisdom of the natural law of karma, of cause and effect or action and result. And remember that karma or karma, it's not punishment or rewards. It's not mystical, magical. It's not a black cloud following you around. It's not who to blame or who's at fault or anything like that. It's just the results of your decisions. So the Buddha is helping you to be able to cultivate this wisdom of the natural law of gamma. So now with that wisdom, you'll make wiser decisions on your own that's going to produce wholesome results. Where when you lack wisdom of that natural law, you'll tend to make unwise decisions that then produce unwholesome results in your life. And the Buddha is sharing some of those unwholesome results with you so that you can independently confirm that. And then that will help you to then learn and practice to be able to experience improved results. So let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Looks like Max, you have questions. Go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. When it says he dies confused, is that uh, the same thing as like unknowing of true reality? Yes, the unknowing of true reality and lacking wisdom and muddle-minded, that one is just misunderstanding and confused. Like you die, but you don't know where you're going next. You don't know what's going to happen next. You might even be fearful of your death. So this confusion at the time of death oftentimes leads to a very painful death because if you don't understand things like craving, anger, and ignorance, and you're getting closer and closer to death, due to this confusion, you might be holding on to the world. It becomes very painful that you realize you need to let go of the world. You're not quite sure what's going to happen to you next. So death can be very miserable for somebody who lacks this wisdom. And that's what the Buddha is describing is this confusion that exists at the time of death. But you can also take discourses like this and see just the opposite, that if you cultivate the wisdom on the path to enlightenment, when you die, you won't be confused, that you can ease into death uh, very joyfully, particularly if you've gotten to enlightenment, you can be very joyful at the time of death that it's not painful. Whereas if you have this confusion, it'll be a very painful death for you. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Looks like Mayuli has a question here as well. Teacher, going back to the previous chapter, if the afflicted spirit beings, heavenly beings are formless, then how come we are able, I think you mean we are able to see them, right? So there are some individuals, and it sounds like you may be one of those, Mayuli, that can actually see formless beings. Even though they don't have physical form, there are some human beings that can see afflicted spirits, that can see heavenly beings, and even hell beings as well. So this is something that some people have the ability to experience and some people don't so even though they're formless you can see them in some cases okay and by the way we refer to that in english as apparition right that we have this apparition that we can see all right i'm not seeing any other questions anywhere so let's move on to the next chapter chapter 16. looks like kushi would like to read this one go ahead ma'am yeah, thank you, Jigrid. Group destination and rebirth. Monks, I will teach 
you as an exposition of the teachings on gripping. Listen and attend closely, I will speak. And what monks is that exposition of the teachings on gripping? Monks, beings are the owner of their karma, the heirs of their karma. They have karma as their origin, karma as their relative, karma as their resort. Whatever karma they do, wholesome or unwholesome, they are its heirs. Here someone destroys life. He is murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, merciless to living beings. He creeps along by body, speech and mind. His bodily karma is crooked. His verbal karma is crooked. His mental karma is crooked. His destination is crooked. His rebirth is crooked. But for one with a crooked destination and rebirth, I say there is one of the two destinations, either the exclusively painful hells or a species of creeping animal. And what are the species of creeping animal? The snake, the scorpion, the centipede, the mongoose, the cat, the mouse, and the owl, or any other animal that creeps away when they see people. Thus, a being is reborn from a being. One is reborn through one's deeds. When one has reborn, contacts affect one. It is in this way, I say, that beings are the heirs of their karma. The cause of someone takes what is not given and someone engages in sexual misconduct are expounded in repetitions as the above discourse, someone destroys life. The four unwholesome verbal actions and the three unwholesome mental actions are shared in the same phrasing. Okay, thank you, Kushi. So here the Buddha is explaining this crooked destination and rebirth, that if you're doing these things where you're creeping along and doing harmful things in this life, then it's going to lead to this birth into either hell or the animal realm where you're also creeping along like these animals. And he talks about the hell realm as well. Remember here, we've studied this in other classes and various things that I teach where the Buddha talks about you are the owner and the heir of your karma. What this means is nobody else can create karma for you. It's your decisions that produces your karma. Sometimes people think that somebody else is creating karma for them, but it's not possible for somebody else to create karma for you. Some other things you can pick up here from the Buddha is you can see here where he talks about the exclusively painful hells. So when I share things like hell is experiencing exclusively painful feelings, you can see that in the Buddha's words too, so that you have confidence in what I'm sharing with you is the truth based on what the Buddha is sharing here, but also through experience as well, that having had experiences with beings in this realm and also experiences from those various realms in previous lives. That's why I can share these kinds of things. And as I experienced those things, then when I saw it here in the Buddhist teachings, it makes sense because I had already experienced these things and now the Buddha is explaining it, which helped me to understand what I had experienced at different times. So here the Buddha is just giving you some more details on rebirth and how that rebirth occurs and in what types of existences that you can experience rebirth based on certain things that you do in this life. So let me know if you guys have any questions on this particular chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So we'll move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 17. 
This one is titled Leading to Hell, to the Animal Realm, and to the Realm of Afflicted Spirits. Monks, the destruction of life repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human, the destruction of life at minimum leads to a short lifespan. Taking what is not given, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, taking what is not given, at minimum, leads to the loss of wealth. Sexual misconduct, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, sexual misconduct, at minimum, leads to hostility and competition. False speech, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, false speech, at minimum, leads to false accusations. Argumentative speech, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, argumentative speech, at minimum, leads to being separated from one's friends. Harsh speech, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, harsh speech at minimum leads to hearing disagreeable things. Idle chatter, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, idle chatter at minimum leads to others distrusting one's words. Drinking liquor and wine, ingestion of substances that cause heedlessness, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, into the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, drinking liquor and wine, ingestion of substances that cause heedlessness, at minimum, leads to madness. So here, the Buddha is helping you to see these things that he teaches in other discourses of how continuing to do those things over and over and over again leads to this rebirth in the lower realms, but even if an individual is reborn into the human realm, there's still gamma to be experienced. That's where he says here that at minimum, if reborn into a human realm, one is going to experience this particular result. So here, this helps you to be able to understand the morality and why it's important for you to practice good moral conduct so that you can experience improved results in this life. And then if there has to be rebirth in the future life, then okay, you'll experience improved results there as well. But this also helps you to be able to see in situations now in this life why people are experiencing certain things that they experience. So if you happen to learn about a particular case or if you have a particular friend that perhaps has a very short lifespan, this can oftentimes be from the destruction of life in previous lives. So if somebody was killing in a previous life, if they're reborn into the human realm, they could experience a shortened lifespan in this life. And this helps you to understand why some people might die when they're very young in this particular life. And then you can see that through beings like I described even in the animal realm, that beings in the animal realm are repeatedly killing over and over and over and over again. This is why they have a shorter lifespan than human beings, because a tiger, a snake, things like this, 
Like I think an average lifespan of a tiger is somewhere between eight to 12 years or a lion and a snake. I think the average lifespan is somewhere between like 10 to 20 years because these beings are typically killing quite a bit. So here you can see that the Buddha is relating this to the human realm. But remember, these are the natural laws of existence. So they apply to all beings, whether you're aware of these natural laws or not. So you can go through and independently verify these things, either if you or people you know have been folks that actually steal, then you know that this experience leads to you actually losing wealth. And then the same thing with all of these different ones, you can actually independently verify all of these through your own experiences, or if you're watching the news or you're hearing about news stories of other people, anything that anybody experiences it's the results of their decisions. It's not good luck or bad luck. It's not fate or destiny. It's decisions that were made in this life or in some previous life. So you can actually trace it through the teachings of the Buddha. And you can see that when you hear about news stories or you watch a YouTube video and something bad happens in a particular situation, it's going to be a result of that person's decisions that they made. And you can see the karma as a result of one's own decisions. And this is actually really helpful for you to understand these things so that then it can lead to your cultivation of wisdom to be able to make wiser and wiser decisions in the world. If you've ever used drugs or alcohol, you might know that yes, this indeed leads to madness. That if you've used that extensively, you might have noticed during that time frame when you were drinking or using drugs, that there was a lot of anger and madness in the mind. So here you can independently verify these things. And that's what would be wise for you to do to be able to cultivate the wisdom is go through a chapter like this. And then once you read like the first paragraph, just sit back and think about your life. Think about other people's lives. Think about uh, certain animals and other beings. Think about like, you know, murder cases uh, or think about uh, world leaders who are involved in a lot of murder or harming through killing, you can see that they've experienced a shorter lifespan. And same thing when you get to this next one, you can read this one and then step back and just think for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, kind of reflect on it and see if you can independently verify this through your own direct experience. That's the way you get to wisdom with any of these teachings is to reflect on it. And then once you've learned it, through reading, once you've reflected on it and seeing the truth that yes, this is true, then you start practicing that now you eliminate destruction of life. You eliminate taking what is not given, sexual misconduct, false speech, argumentative speech, harsh speech, idle chatter, and then taking substances that cause heedlessness because you understand the wisdom of why that's important because you learned, you reflected, independently verify, and now you start practicing and that's where you see the results in your life. You'll see the improved condition of the mind and your life as well. Let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So I'm going to move to the next one, which is chapter 18. This one is titled, The Unwise Person's Unhappy Destination. Suppose a man threw into the sea a ring with a hole in it, and the east wind carried it to the west, and the west wind carried it to the east, and the north wind carried it to the south, and the south wind carried it to the north. Suppose there were a blind turtle that came up once at the end of each century. What do you think, monks, 
Would that blind turtle put his neck into that ring with a hole in it? He might, venerable sir, some time or other at the end of a long period. Monks, the blind turtle would sooner put its neck into that ring with a single hole in it than an unwise person once gone to hell would take to regain the human state, I say. Why is that? Because there is no practicing of the teachings there, no practicing of what is righteous, no doing of what is wholesome, no performance of merit. There, their mutual devouring prevails, and the slaughter of the weak. If some time or other, at the end of a long period, that unwise person comes back to the human state, it is into a low family that he is reborn, into a family of outcasts or hunters or bamboo workers or cartwrights or scavengers, one that is poor with little to eat and drink, surviving with difficulty, where he scarcely finds food and clothing, and he is ugly, unsightly, and mishappen, sickly, blind, cripple-handed, lame, or paralyzed. He gets no food, drink, clothes, vehicles, garlands, scents, or ointments, bed, lodging, and light. He misconducts himself in body, speech, and mind. And having done that, on the dissolution of the body after death, he reappears in a state without basic necessities, in an unhappy destination, in suffering, even in hell. Monks, suppose a gambler, at the very first unlucky throw, loses his child and his wife, and all his property, and furthermore, goes into bondage himself. Yet, an unlucky throw such as that is negligible. It is a far more unlucky throw when an unwise person who misconducts himself in body, speech, and mind on the dissolution of the body after death reappears in a state without basic necessities, in an unhappy destination, in suffering, even in hell. This is the complete perfection of the unwise person's condition. Okay, so here the Buddha is explaining the rarity of an individual once they get into hell to be able to get back into an existence of being a human being with the opportunity to then get to enlightenment. It does happen, but it's very rare. And the Buddha is connecting that to this blind turtle that's at the bottom of the sea. And now there's this ring floating on the sea that's moving all around with the wind. And this blind turtle comes up once every 100 years. And the Buddha is saying, you know, essentially, what's the likelihood of this turtle putting its neck into this ring? Because it's a blind turtle and this ring is floating all over the sea. Once every hundred years, the turtle is coming up. And the Buddha is saying, yes, this is the same rarity of somebody going from the hell realm up to the human realm in order to experience the improved condition of mind and be able to actually get to enlightenment. And the reason why is he's saying that there's no practicing of the teachings in the hell realm, that there's no ability to really learn them and practice them and cultivate the mind. So let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. So I'm going to move on to this next chapter, which is chapter 19. To be reborn in the hell of laughter. Venerable sir, 
I have heard it said among actors of old in the lineage of teachers, if an actor in the theater or the arena entertains and amuses people by truth and lies, then with the breakup of the body after death, he is reborn in the company of the laughing heavenly beings. What does the perfectly enlightened one say about that? Enough, headman, let it be. Don't ask me that. A second time and a third time, Talaputa, the troop headman, said the same question. In the theater or arena, among beings who are not yet free from craving, who are bound by the bondage of craving, an actor entertains them with teasing things that excite them even more strongly to craving. In the theater or arena, among beings who are not yet freed from anger, who are bound by the bonds of anger, an actor entertains them with provoking things that excite them even more strongly to anger. In the theater or arena, among beings who are not yet freed from ignorance, a knowing of true reality, who are bound by the bondage of ignorance, an actor entertains them with confusing things that excite them even more strongly to ignorance. Thus, being heedless and complacent himself, having made others heedless and complacent with the breakup of the body after death, he is reborn in the hell of laughter. But should he hold such a view as this, if an actor in the theater or arena entertains and amuses people by truth and lies, then with the breakup of the body after death, he is reborn in the company of the laughing heavenly beings. That is a wrong view on his part. For a person with wrong view, I say, there is one of two destinations, either hell or the animal realm. So here the Buddha is giving more understanding of what leads to rebirth in this hell realm. And he has this wisdom of what leads to rebirth in all of these different realms. But now we're studying chapters specifically about the hell realm. So here what he's describing is an individual who excites craving anger and ignorance in another being and kind of helps to arise that this individual is going to be reborn in hell because they've kind of done things to entice somebody else's craving anger and ignorance to arise and then he's saying that if somebody thought that an individual who did this would be reborn into the laughing heavenly beings that this would be wrong view so there's wrong view that you learn about related to the four noble truths but then there's other aspects of wrong view that the Buddha teaches as well. And the Buddha teaches that anybody who dies with wrong view is going to be reborn in hell or the animal realm. So establishing right view is so utterly important in the teachings of the Buddha because it helps you to firmly get onto the path to enlightenment, but it also helps you to ensure that you don't get reborn into these lower realms of existence. So here the Buddha is giving you the detail on that. Let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Mayuli, I see, looks like you're getting ready to ask a question there. I just see the word hell. Perhaps you're still writing it. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next chapter. And then I think when I get done, you'll probably have your question completely in there. So this last chapter for today is chapter 20. This one is titled to be reborn in the battle slain hell. So this is where the Buddha is categorizing the different hells and helping you see the different hells and how one would get reborn into these different hells. Here it starts out with, Venerable Sir, I have heard it said by mercenaries 
of old in the lineage of teachers. When a mercenary is one who strives and struggles himself in battle, if others slay him and finish him off while he is striving and struggling himself in battle, then with the breakup of the body after death, he is reborn in the company of the battle-slain heavenly beings. What does the perfectly enlightened one say about that? Enough, headman, let it be. Don't ask me that. A second time and a third time, the headman asked the same question. When headman, a mercenary is one who strives and exerts himself in battle, his mind is already low, wicked, misdirected by the thought. Let these beings be slain, slaughtered, obliterated, destroyed, or exterminated. If others then slay him and finish him off while he is striving and struggling himself in battle, then with the breakup of the body after death, he is reborn in the battle-slain hell. But should he hold such a view as this, when a mercenary strives and struggles himself in battle, if others slay him and finish him off while he is striving and struggling himself in battle, then with the breakup of the body after death, he is reborn in the company of the battle-slain heavenly beings. That is wrong view on his part. For a person with wrong view, I say, there is one of two destinations, either hell or the animal realm. So here the Buddha is answering a question that people have been misled to think that if there's a person who's in battle and they're injured and struggling and somebody else comes up to them and kills them, that then they're going to be reborn in the heavenly realm, this battle slain heavenly realm. And the Buddha is saying, no, that's not true because this individual would have killed lots of beings. And the, the Buddha is saying, you know, essentially, just because you're finished off in battle doesn't mean you're going to be reborn in the heavenly realm. If one has that view, that would be wrong view, which means automatically that individual is going to be reborn into the hell realm or the animal realm. Instead, he's sharing that this individual who dies in battle is going to be reborn into hell because that individual would have been killing and injuring lots of beings in that particular battle. So let me know what questions you guys have here. Again, you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Okay, looks like Mayulis got a question here. Sorry for the confusion. My question is, is it possible that a human being study and practices the Buddhist teachings, then be reborn into hell realms? The answer to your question is, yes, it's possible. Because it all depends on one's condition of mind at the time of death. Just because of studying the teachings of the Buddha doesn't automatically mean somebody's not going to be reborn in hell or the animal realm or afflicted spirits. It's all about learning it, then reflecting on it, and then practicing it. An individual needs to practice it. There's plenty of people out there in the world that might be working to intellectually understand the teachings of the Buddha, but they're not actually practicing it. So it's not just the study of the teachings, but it's the practice part. Oh, I see here, actually, you have studies and practices the teachings of the Buddha. So same answer is that it's possible for somebody who's even practicing to be reborn into the hell animal realm or afflicted spirits, depending on the level of their practice, right? Somebody could have just gotten onto the path, only been practicing for a month or two, and they die in that 
particular time frame. So it's all about how well you've cultivated the mind. So applying the determination, dedication, and diligence is what's going to ensure that you're practicing and purifying the mind and getting to the point where the causes and conditions that would lead to rebirth in these lower realms doesn't actually exist any longer. So it's all about getting to the practice part. Kushi, looks like you have a question. If you would like to ask that, go ahead, ma'am. Yeah, thank you. I have two questions. So when the hell and afflicted spirits around beings do something wrong to human beings other than Mara or someone or them doing themselves without a human being causing harm to them, other than that reason, what are the reasons that they do like harm to a human being? Yeah, so what can a human being potentially do harm to them that they think that they need to return this harm to human beings and uh, also the other part of the question is like do they understand the human language so like saying something that will make them understand like doing this is not doing any good or like telling them that yeah you also get free from suffering Will that make them stop doing that or something? Sure. So beings in any of these realms, including the human realm, they're motivated by what's going on in the mind. So a being in the hell realm has extensive amounts of craving, anger, and ignorance. And that's the reason why that they're choosing to do any particular thing. The same thing with an animal, the afflicted spirits, human, and even heavenly realm, that there's craving, anger, and ignorance in the mind, and they're going to be motivated to making decisions through those. And when they're making decisions through those, it's going to produce unwholesome gamma or unwholesome results. When you make decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, this is going to produce wholesome results. But those beings in the hell realm, in animal realm and afflicted spirit realm, they don't have much generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom typically. So they're struggling to be able to make wise decisions that's going to produce wholesome results. So any harm that those beings are causing to a human being is coming from their craving, anger, and ignorance. And then those beings do understand uh, human language. They don't understand all human languages where if a being had previously been a human being to have learned English, let's just say they ended up in the afflicted spirit realm next, then they're going to understand English. But if they maybe learned Thai and they were a Thai human being, when they were reborn into the afflicted spirit realm, they're going to understand Thai. So those beings can understand, but they typically aren't interested because they have so much craving, anger, and ignorance. They don't typically apply themselves to being able to understand and being able to learn. You don't have to worry about these beings in the lower realms. You don't have to be the least bit worried because everything that you experience is going to be a result of your decisions. If you experience contact with beings in any of these realms, if you show fear, particularly the hell realm in the afflicted spirit realm, they feed off of that fear. So you're not interested in having any particular fear if you come in contact with these beings because they feed off of it and they want that reaction from you because then they know that they're important. So if you come in contact with any of those beings, you just ignore it and still practice loving kindness and compassion, but it would be best to ignore those beings. Let's see, we have a question here in Zoom. Hi, sir. May I know how these results of unwholesome moralities done in the past, including past lives, can be 
recompensated. At the same time, understanding the cause and effect phenomenon in karma. Thank you. So as you make decisions in this life, you are experiencing the results of those decisions. You can experience the results of those decisions in this life, but also in previous lives. The way that the results of those decisions happen from one life to the next is that when you're reborn, what's actually being reborn, which I don't really consider rebirth, but that's how people typically describe this word samsara. They translate it as the cycle of rebirth. It's best to think about it as the cycle of new existence, that person A and person B, it's a completely new existence. It's a completely new body, a completely new mind. But when person A dies, the cravings and residual memories move into the mind of person B. And now with these cravings and residual memories and the mind of person B, they're making decisions based on cravings from previous lives. And now this is how they're experiencing their karma from their previous life. It's not like somebody did something in a previous life and now there's some magical way that person B is experiencing that. The way that person B is experiencing it is that because person A didn't extinguish their craving, then now this craving is in the mind of this new person, and now this person B is functioning based on that craving, and now they're experiencing results in this life. So let me give you an example. Say that person A is Bob, and during Bob's lifetime, he had sex with lots of different people, and he was having lots and lots and lots and lots of sex. And now by the time he dies, he still hasn't extinguished that sexual craving, and he dies, and now let's just say he happens to be reborn into the human realm. And now his cravings and residual memories go into this new mind, and now there's Barbara. And now, say, this new being, Barbara, also has this craving for sexual contact. And now she's also having sex with multiple people. And now because of that, maybe she contracts HIV, she gets AIDS, and maybe she passes away within a certain number of years. So Barbara is experiencing gamma or experiencing results based on decisions that she made in that particular life. But those decisions were based on cravings from a previous life. So even though Bob had all these different sexual interactions that he ultimately experienced gamma in that life. He's also experiencing that gamma in his next life too, where Barbara is continuing to have sexual contact. And now because of that sexual misconduct contracts HIV and dies early in life. And now maybe that being is reborn down into hell or afflicted spirits or even the animal realm or something like that. So that's how one experiences it. It's because of the cravings move from one life to the next. And now that new being is functioning through that craving. And that's how the unwholesome results from previous lives are being experienced in this new life. Okay. Not seeing any questions anywhere else. This was our last chapter for today. So I'd like to thank all of you guys who joined the class. I'd like to also thank those of you guys that chose to read and volunteer to read and all the questions you guys are asking are outstanding. This is great that you guys are penetrating into it this way. So thank you all for your participation, your reading, your questions, your dedication and diligence to learning the teachings of the Buddha. In our next class, next Saturday, we're going to be in chapters 21 through 30. So remember, you can read these chapters either before class and or after class, and that will help you to gain more benefit because you'll see the words of the Buddha. You'll see the words that I share because I'm not able to share everything in class like I would in a particular book. So you're welcome to download those. 
You're welcome to take it and go print it. You're welcome to get printed versions from the temple here in Chiang Mai or on Amazon. So you can have access to all these books at no cost. Tomorrow in our group learning program, I'm going to be sharing volume one, chapter 16, which is titled Dissolving the Ego, Ego Serves No Purpose. I'm going to explain to you what the ego is, the complications and symptoms that you experience because of the ego, and how to dissolve it and how to eliminate it. Then on Wednesday, I'm going to be guiding you guys in a breathing mindfulness meditation session and then opening up to any and all questions that you guys have. We also have a course coming up Monday through Friday this upcoming week from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Thai time, which you guys are welcome to join live through Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. This is a foundation in the Path to Enlightenment course, which really helps you to lay a really strong foundation on the Path to Enlightenment. If you can't attend that live based on the time zone or what you're involved in, it's going to be recorded on Facebook and YouTube, and eventually it'll make its way to the podcast as well so that you guys can learn the foundation in the Path to Enlightenment, establishing a really nice foundation. So that's going to be coming up this week. So thank you all for joining. We'll see you guys in one of these future classes, courses, or retreats. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.